You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1025 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And today's show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. With only 95 calories, choice is carbs. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. Today's podcast will be myself and Ben Ladner, good friend of the podcast for a long, long time, talking about the Hawks and the Bucks and the conference finals, etc. But first, some news. I'll start with Trey Young and the latest there on his ailing ankle slash foot. Uh, Nate McMillan did a press conference earlier today on Monday afternoon. He was asked by Sarah Spencer of the AJC about the results of Trey Young's MRI, and here is what he had to say about that. Hey, Nate. Um, has Trey gotten his MRI done yet? And if so, do you know anything more about just the status of his ankle yet? Uh, I'm waiting on the uh, results of that, and uh, I'm sure we'll have uh, more information uh, later today. Did you guys have um, a full practice and just what was he able to do at practice today? Just to get what you need day. Uh, basically guys ca- uh, came in today to get whatever they needed, uh, video, shooting, treatment, uh, you know, whatever they uh, rest. Uh, so it was a get what you need day, day today. Was Trey able to shoot or anything like that? It was a get what you need day today. Um, um, pretty much he got treatment. From there, there were several more follow-ups with McMillan with similar answers. I will say I'm not going to include all of those here, but just believe me when I tell you, nothing new came out of those. But the final sort of snippet that he said about Trey and what he offered when he was asked about the stats for Game 4 in particular, and uh, he was actually asked also about how they would handle it if he was limited. So this was kind of revealing, and this is what he had to say about that. I'll wait till tomorrow to find out uh, you know, where Trey is at, how he feels, and if he can go. Uh, and, you know, if they, they give me the okay that he can go and, uh, uh, you know, he won't injure himself or, uh, or, or do any more damage to uh, his body, uh, we'll, we'll put him out there. But, you know, all of that uh, I will get tomorrow. So as you might expect, you can kind of hear it there from Nate, like if he's cleared to play, he'll play. If they tell him he can't play, he won't play. But if he's cleared, then, he's, then he'll probably be out there. And a few hours later, the Hawks announced sort of via press release on Monday afternoon that Trey had an MRI, of course, on Monday, and it revealed a bone bruise in his right foot. So it was listed as an ankle injury originally. Now it's supposed to be a bone bruise in his foot, but he'll be listed as questionable officially. He now already is um, for game four, and that's kind of all we've gotten on that with regard to Trey and his availability. You know, for me... My guess would be that if he is cleared to play by the medical staff, then he will at least try to play. Trey Young is very tough and uh, always wants to play. And maybe they, if he can't go, maybe they, they have to tell him that he can't go. But uh, I think if he's able to play, he will play, is my guess with regard to that. But right now, we're all just kind of guessing on the outside, but that's the latest on that. You hear what Nate said. You hear what the official listing is now. Again, a bone bruise in his right foot. And uh, we'll leave it there until we hear more on Tuesday. Today on the Rooting NBA Finals, our NBA Playoff Cards is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. So the worth it if you enjoy it. 95 calories with his card. We can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. So the Hawks, as I sort of alluded to last night on the podcast, are seen as a pretty big underdog in the series at this point in time. In fact, I was kind of surprised by how much of an underdog the Hawks were in the betting market. Our friends at BetOnline.ag um, 
listed at the series price. And uh, I'm pulling it up now to double check that it hasn't changed. But essentially, the Hawks are like a 90% underdog with regard to the implied odds in the series. And that is a, a pretty jarringly high number. So it's minus 1,300 on Milwaukee and plus 790 on the Hawks in the series, according to BetOnline.ag. Um, and that's just, you know, that's a lot. I, I think the Hawks are undervalued at that price. I don't say that the Hawks are going to win the series or what, I, or what I would pick them, but I was pretty surprised to see that number as high as high as it was, but just kind of enforce where the perception is nationally. It doesn't really mean anything necessarily on the court, but that's where they are right now. And for Game 4 in particular, as of Monday night when I'm recording this, the Hawks are pretty significant underdogs. Part of that might be trace status. That's worth keeping in mind, but the Hawks are seven-point underdogs at home at this moment, according to Bellalanda AG, for Game 4. Um, I think if Trey were to be ruled out, this is now me guessing instead of the actual number, but if Trey were to not play a second in the game, the number would probably be a little bit higher than seven. And I think if Trey plays, it might go a little bit lower than seven. This kind of it sounds like sort of like a hedge line to me because the Hawks were only like four and a half point underdogs in game three. And nothing really has changed other than Trey's status. Uh, no other injury stuff that's, you know, kind of divvied up. And that's, a, you know, it's a two and a half, maybe, you know, that's a multi-point move. It's pretty interesting in between games. And the Hawks should be desperate, actually, at home in game four. So a lot of that's on Trey. Uh, and his ankle, and uh, it's, I guess it's his foot now, as I should say. But um, if he's available, um, the Hawks feel better about that. If he's not, then the Hawks are fighting an uphill battle, to be sure. The only other thing that's uh, at least a slight change is that Bogdanovich is now probable on the injury report. I think we got to the point in the last couple of games where we all assumed that he would play despite questionable listing. Now he's probable. That sort of backs up what, what, what Nate was saying last night, actually, after the game, about how he'd been improving physically. So I will be surprised if he doesn't play at this point in time and we'll just kind of assume that's, that he'll be in. But for now, the Hawks are underdogs in Game 4 and in for the series, and uh, they need to win Game 4 to be sure to avoid that 3-1 deficit and uh, all the perils associated with that, uh, before we get to Ben and the rest of the podcast, it's time to reveal a Michelob Ultra Player of the Week for this week. And if you're a regular listener, you will know that I try my best not to give the award to Trey Young every week. If it's close at all, I will try to go with somebody else so I don't, I don't repeat, repeat myself too, too much. But this week, it simply wasn't close. Uh, Trey is averaging 32.7 points per game in the series against the Bucks, even with basically being on one leg in the fourth quarter of Game 3. He had 35 points in that game despite the ankle issue, and he had 32 through three quarters. He might have had 40-plus in that game, um, if, if healthy or at least even relatively healthy in the fourth quarter. And for the playoffs, Trey's averaging 29.8 points, 9.5 assists in 15 games. Um, you know, we all knew Trey Young was awesome. At least people paying attention to the Hawks knew that. But um, his play has been stellar in the playoffs. I think defensively he's been better in the playoffs as well. Uh, more feisty, more effort on the end of the floor, and the way he's carried the offense. Just a transcendent performance from Trey at the age of 22. Yes, he's 22 years old, basically averaging 30 and 10 in a three-round playoff run. So it can't be overstated. Trey has been incredible. Fingers crossed, knock on wood, all those fun things that he is able to play and have his normal health for Game 4 and beyond. But uh, at any rate, he has been awesome, and uh, we definitely want to say that here on the podcast. Are you happy because you win? Do it because you're happy? With only 95 carbs and 95 calories, I should say. Two says carbs only worth it if you enjoy it. In the end, joy creates success, and enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. Michelob Ultra and the Ultra Player of the Week this time around is Trey Young. I am joined now by a longtime friend of the podcast. Ben Ladner is here. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. My pleasure as always. Uh, I call you into duty every once in a while, and you are uh, gracious enough to join me. Um, we are mid-series. We're recording. This is Monday evening between Game 3 and Game 4. And 
a lot to get into. Uh, you and I were laughing before we started recording about the uh, about game two, but I will promise you now I will not ask you about game two because it was that bad. That's good because that's the only one I have. That's probably the only playoff game in the last like two weeks that I have not been able to devote my attention to. So <laughs> it worked out that way where I had a, another engagement that night and was trying to kind of multitask and doing a bad job. But I, I occasionally would look up and each time the, the margin was larger than the last time I looked up and it just progressively got out of hand until Nathan Knight and Bruno Fernando were in the game. So I figured uh, things were not going well. Yeah, I heard from someone, I'll, I'll say someone around the league to be as vague as possible. Uh, I got a note from them in like the, maybe the fourth quarter. I think they'd seen the score and I got a note from them like, hey, do I need to watch the Hawks game tonight? Like I was going to, I was planning to watch it when I got home tonight. Do I need to watch it? And I just like, I was just like, I mean, are you a masochist? Otherwise, no, <laughs> like you don't need to watch this game. I had to watch it. I watched it twice, which was a uh, cruel and unusual punishment, I think, as mm. usual. But yeah. alas, here we are. There is plenty to discuss though. Um I guess we should start with Trey, even though we don't know much. I did, uh, before I brought you in, I updated people on this. But, you know, he's he's questionable officially. He has this bone bruise on his foot. And, you know, for me, based on what McMillan said, if he's cleared to play and they're going, if they let him play, I'd be pretty surprised if Trey didn't play. Like, Trey is someone who is going to try to play, um, unless they tell him that he can't. With that said, he did not look good in the fourth quarter when he came back in physically. Um, so, you know, two-pronged question, what do you expect is kind of an impossible question to answer, but also the second part of that is, if he is limited, how much trouble are the Hawks in in Game 4? Because, uh, you know, we saw the results were not great, even, albeit in a small sample in the fourth quarter. Yeah, well, the, the outlook is not great if he can't play, obviously. Um, you know, sort of uh, it goes without saying, but when you lose your best player, and especially one as heliocentric as Trey, I mean, it's no secret that he and Luka Doncic and for a while, Giannis, but that's kind of dialed down. Uh, James Harden before Brooklyn, you know, LeBron. These are these are some of the highest usage and highest assist percentage, you know, the the Seth Part now total usage metric players in the league. Like their their teams are almost entirely dependent upon them to create offense. So if the guy who you're entirely dependent upon to create offense, create offense at a high level, your offense is going to sputter kind of as a result. So you know, bone bruises, those are not fun, like they're really painful and just not easy to play, to do anything on, let alone play high level basketball against Drew Holiday, uh, one of the better defenders in the league. So I would expect maybe a little bit more mobility, a little bit more burst than we saw in the fourth quarter of game four, although uh, I'm sorry, game three, although you could also argue that, you know, when you're having to warm it up, like you're not just coming back into a game, you're actually having to go through the injury for a day and a half and lead up to the game. Maybe he could be even more limited because he doesn't have that adrenaline. He doesn't have that, that foot already warmed up going into the game. I have no idea. It's, it's, it's his body. We have no way of knowing until we actually see it. Right. But I would expect something close to what we saw in the fourth quarter of game three, which if you're a Hawks fan is not encouraging because as I said, the ramifications of Trey not being Trey are pretty dire and, he did not look like Trey in that in that fourth quarter. Yeah, and I think if people watched it, they probably took this away too. But it, the big loss there, you know, defensively it hurts him, but he's already weak there. But it's it's worse. I mean, Trey actually think has been relatively spunky defensively in the playoffs. He's given more yeah. effort. Um, he's been better. Um, but if he's limited physically at all, given his size, and that's just tough. But and then offensively, 
I, I got asked this last night on, on actually on a TV hit that I did, but I thought it was a good question. Like, you know, what can the Hawks even do to try to replicate what he does? Not even if he's playing, he's kind of the only guy on the team. You know, Lou does it a little bit that really gets into the teeth of the defense. You know, there are guys that can. Herter is, a, I think, an underrated creator, but they don't have anybody that does what Trey does off the dribble. And that, you know, is in addition to just kind of creating his own shots and floaters and stuff, it's the passes and the drop-offs and the lobs that he can get to that nobody else can get to. Like, what do they do if he is playing but also doesn't have that juice because they don't really have anybody that does? Yeah, well, this problem is sort of exacerbated by the fact that the guy they brought in to be that complimentary playmaker is also injured. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Bogdan Bogdanovich has not been himself either in these playoffs. So I think in a in a healthy situation, otherwise healthy outside of Trey situation, you'd say we well, run more through Bogdanovich, Herder, you get those guys, you know, cracking the paint and kicking out or whatever. You probably need a little bit more motion, a little bit different of a more collective offense because I don't think either even when healthy are going to run 50 pick and rolls a game or whatever it is you know the workload that Trey has there's no one else on the team that can do that but you can at least sprinkle more of that in through other guys you mentioned Lou you know Bogdan Herder like these guys can do that at a, a decent level but it's just like Bogdanovich now just hasn't been that guy so can you trust him to do that I'm not sure like the signs point to no, given how he's played in this series. So, you know, I guess Herter, but like, he's probably not a good enough passer, even though he's a good passer. He's not a good enough, like primary creator to really do that. I think you probably have to just try to work it out by committee. But the problem is when you've been running everything a certain way for an entire season, it's really hard to change that up between games three and four of a playoff series. I mean, that's just like a really, really difficult thing to do because you don't have time to say, okay, well, you know, we're going to like in, in the regular season, this would be, we're going to be without Trey young for two weeks. Let's try to build some consistency and some continuity over those two weeks. You don't have two weeks to figure this out. You you have if one day, a quarter one day. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's, it's just a real challenge. I don't really, I don't, I don't know any like specifics. I, I guess maybe you try to get Collins in, in some of his preferable spots on the floor yeah. a little more often. Like you, you maybe run some, some screening actions off the ball for Herder or Bogdanovich before a pick and roll, just to get them that extra step or whatever it is. Um, maybe it's more Lou Williams, but then you have to worry about the defensive trade off of that. Although if, if Trey young isn't, playing as many minutes you know maybe there's you still just have one bad defender on the floor and you can live with that um, and then there's also the element of if Trey Young plays but he's not at full capacity how do you balance that with also trying to work in that continuity stuff that I was talking about so you kind of have to you have to figure out the degree to which you need to make up for Trey's absence and then also try to do that if that makes sense so uh, it's it's a real tricky predicament. I would not want to be in Nate McMillan's shoes right now. No. But, you know, he's he's shown a, an ability to problem solve in these playoffs. Granted, at far less difficult problems than not having your best at full strength. But, you know, like, it's one of those things where I used to say this about Eric Spolstra and, you know, Nick Nurse and other great coaches in the playoffs. Like, there's probably an answer out there. I just don't know what it is, but I, I trust the, the coach to find it. You know, I don't know if I trust McMillan as much as I trust some of those other guys, but 
I certainly trust him more than I trust myself to figure these things out. That said, I'm not sure even a Nick Nurse or an Eric Spolstra or Greg Popovich or a Red Auerbach or whoever could could figure out a game plan that's going to help Atlanta overcome a 2-1 lead against Milwaukee. Yeah, um, I am actually was thinking about this when you were talking. I There was this debate that was kind of happening in my mentions because I, I, I said it on the podcast last night. I wonder what you think about this. I think I thought personally the fourth quarter – especially, but you can even argue the second half, was more of an offensive loss than a defensive loss for the Hawks in Game 3. And I know that seems weird because Middleton went so crazy. But if you watch the shot quality, like he had some a couple open looks, but a couple of those were pretty ludicrous shots, and he's capable of making those shots. But the problem really was the Hawks scored four points in the last six minutes. And that is the, I mean, not that you wouldn't worry about, about the defense at all, but that's the concern for me in this series almost right now is the offense as crazy as that might sound for a team that was top 10 in offense. And that is offense leaning. Um, I kind of trust the defense more than the offense right now in some respects, not all, but in this series that might even be the case. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to applaud you uh, for the use of the word ludicrous to describe Chris Middleton's performance in the fourth quarter. That was well done. that, that, That was an accident, but I appreciate that. It was good. I tried my best. Second of all, I, I think for sure moving forward, it, it's definitely you feel more confident about the defense than the offense. Although, I mean, Milwaukee was kind of able to get what they wanted in game three to to a degree. So, um, I mean, the, the, honestly, the whole I mean, I should say it's not like they've been great defensively in the series. Like the shot quality metrics, I know Matt Moore tweeted some stuff up from, from second, second, second spectrum. That's hard to say. Um, and the Bucks were like off the charts shot quality. And I, yeah. I agree with that. But it's really, you know, I th- it sounds so crazy. They were better defensively in that second half than they have been for most of the series, which is weird because they lost that second half by double digits. But, I mean, Middleton is capable of what he did. But if you look at the contest, like, they did, they did a pretty decent job on Giannis. Like, Akongo was pretty good. Holiday didn't kill him. It was just Middleton. And that's just personnel, honestly. A lot of that stuff's personnel because while I think Kevin Hurd has come a long way, if he's your number one defender on Chris Middleton – And number two, I don't even know who it is. That's not where you want to be. Yeah, and it's even crazier that, like you mentioned, Onyeko Okongwu was the guy doing a lot of that defensive damage against Giannis. I mean, he was good. That's something I was I was going to touch on at some point. I guess now is as good a time as any. I've been blown away by his playoff run this year. Like for a guy who played what 600 minutes, 599, whatever it was, in the regular season, he has really just taken to the defensive game plan, especially against Giannis. But even Embiid, I mean, he guarded him decently well for stretches. He's looked okay on offense. I mean, there are times when he kind of looks like like a, a mini, young, whatever term you want to use, version of Capella. You know, it's just the length and the activity and the the competitiveness and, and the intelligence, too. Like, for a rookie, I've been just been very impressed by what he's been able to do on both sides of the ball. But back to the, the earlier question, I mean, I think that, Without Trey Young, you are still able to execute your defensive game plan. Without Trey Young, you can't still execute your offensive game plan. So that, I mean, that's sort of what it uh, what, it, what it boils down to for me. But yeah, certainly not great having uh, having Kevin Herter matching up with Chris Middleton. And this is an area too where having DeAndre Hunter would really yeah. help. Having a, a, <laughs> a Cam Reddish who's at NBA rhythm would really. I mean, this is a series where Reddish, not that he would totally change your life on defense but he could come in and and give you some minutes against Middleton just to give him a different look or to bother him or whatever but you know just the fact that he hasn't played in so long kind of makes him a non-option and obviously Hunter 
his versatility both on Middleton and potentially on Giannis for stretches using his length and and speed and and strength so you know it's another situation much like not having your your primary offensive creator not having your two best perimeter defenders gonna hurt your perimeter defense and and while Capella and Okongwu and others have done well as far as executing the game plan on Giannis and Lopez and protecting the rim and all that although the Bucks have still gotten to the rim but I digress the defense has has just not been there like you said it's personnel based there's nothing you can really devise that's that's gonna make Lou Williams longer that's gonna make Kevin Herter faster or stronger that's gonna miraculously heal Bogdan Bogdanovich's knee you know there's you can't do anything about that other than have better options and right now the Hawks are kind of out of options yeah um I'm gonna follow up on one thing from that in a moment but first let's hear from our sponsors on today's podcast Bet online is the easiest and the fastest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is definitely here and in full swing. You can track all the action at betonline.ag. Plus, in addition to baseball, the NBA playoffs are here, as you're listening to all the time on this podcast. And uh, beyond that, all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs. Of course, you have MLB, NBA, and you have NHL, UFC, MMA, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, entertainment bets, all that you can think of. It's all there at betonline.ag. Before the next pitch or dribble, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop and mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information that you can find all in one place. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game and get in on the action. Head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline.ag. That's a 50% welcome bonus if you use the promo code Locked On. The promo code, one more time, is Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus with the site on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models in the car or truck world, it's now impossible to stock all the parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you endure often pointless questioning from someone at a storefront and have to wait while someone at the counter orders the parts on the computer only choosing the brand that the warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com right now, both at home and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for all the audio and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need, just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is uniquely and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your car and choose the brands, specs, and prices that you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. And from there, you went right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box to know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, Ben, uh, I want to ask you about one part of that, and that's uh, that's the Cam Reddish aspect. So I know you're not dialed in on Hawks Twitter the way you used to be, um, but uh, you can imagine that Hawks fans would like to see Cam, would like to see Cam and not Solomon Hill uh, so much at this moment in time. Mm. Uh, that is foreseeable. I think we all saw that coming. As soon as Reddish was going to be active and available to play, I kind of had a feeling this exact thing was going to happen. I, I thought, reading between the lines, that Nate wasn't going to play him. And I knew if that didn't happen and the Hawks lost a game or two, the calls were going to come, and that's what's happened. So sort of a two-pronged question. You you alluded to Cam, you know, obviously being a tough option to play right now because he hasn't played in so long. I agree with you on that. But p- part two is basically how bad is Solomon Hill in your view, and is it 
bad enough to try the uncertainty of Reddish because if you read Hawks Twitter right now, they will tell you that Solomon Hill is uh, a Division three basketball player. Um, obviously, he's not that bad, but uh, some of the, some of the some of the shots being taken at Solo have been uh, pretty pretty ugly. And honestly, he's I think everybody can agree he's not the guy that anyone wanted to play the role he's in right now, including the Hawks. They they definitely know that in a perfect world he wouldn't be playing in this series. But uh, do you think it's as bad as Hawks fans do? And uh, would you try Cam at some point? Well, the shots taken at Solo can't be as bad as the shots taken by Solo. So that's... Uh, zero that's zero for one. zero in game three, my friend. Zero for zero. Well, there, there you go. No shots. No shots are better than missed shots, I guess. It may, I don't know. Wayne Gretzky might tell you otherwise. Well, honestly, though, to your point there, I, was, I know you're kidding. It's really bad to be playing 15 minutes as a small forward and not attempt a shot. That that, that means you're not being guarded yeah. and you're not shooting. And that's that's not what you like. One of the actually one of the pros of Solo in my in my mind previously was that Solomon Hill would shoot. Now he's not a great shooter, but you have to be there's a, there's a value to being willing to shoot. And him not taking a shot in 15 minutes is uh, that's bad in itself. Yeah, it feels like he and the Bucks have both come to the realization that Solomon Hill can't shoot. Yes. And so he's deciding not to, and the Bucks are deciding not to garden him. And I think uh, the Bucks are, are getting the, the better end of that trade-off. I mean, I guess Reddish would be a better option. He, he'd have to be, right? It's, he's, he's pretty skinny. That's the thing. So it's, it's just like, do you, do you want him to just get trucked by Giannis or Middleton or you know, whoever? And maybe he wouldn't. I think it's at least worth a try. I get why, McMillan isn't trying it because it's the playoffs and you can't that's kind of how I am too necessarily <laughs> yeah you just afford to like I, I said you, you I understand two weeks to figure it out you have to you have to kind of the, the margin of error is just a lot smaller so you can't necessarily run a guy out there and just see how it goes that said I wouldn't be opposed at this point in the series to running him out there and seeing how it goes just because of how how much of a negative hill has been um so it's I mean, Reddish, I was going to say he he wouldn't be that much of an upgrade as a shooter, but he'd kind of have to be at this point. And like I said, it just as a guy with some length and some quickness and some hands on Middleton, maybe that could be an option and just not get lit up. Um, but the, the truth really is that whether they're playing Cam Reddish or Solomon Hill, that's not changing the outcome of these games. They're, they're, a, wing, they're a wing short. That's the way I put it last night. Like, the, like all things considered— I know it's not fun to think about DeAndre Hunter not being there, but they're 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 a guy short. They just are. I mean, that's the reality. That doesn't mean they can't win the series as they can, but none of the options are good options. You can sit here and argue that Cam is a better option. And um, one thing that I've said, I wonder if you agree with this, is like the Hawks won't think about it this way because they're professional athletes slash coaches and they have confidence in themselves. But if you take a step back, the Hawks are the underdog in the series. And you and I could say that out loud and realize that when you're the underdog – they're called David strategies where like you, you, you probably have to embrace the variance in mm-hmm. some respects. And if you view it through that lens, there is no question that cams upside is higher. You could argue that his downside might even be lower. And the people, I think Hawks fans don't understand that it doesn't compute to them, but like Solomon Hill is like a team defender. That's like a professional, he knows where to be that kind of stuff. And cam hasn't played in four months. Like the downside of a guy who hasn't played in four months is pretty low. It, it just is. But Obviously, he's a much more talented guy, uh, a better athlete, all that stuff. So now that they're down to one, I think maybe Nate looks at the film and is like, all right, maybe we have to do this. Another thing that they got by with it against Philadelphia, they played Gallinari at the three a lot in that series, and it worked to their credit. It was a really good decision by Nate, and they lean into it, and it worked. But Gallo's defense in this series, 
even at the four, has been so untenably bad that they won't even barely try it, and I don't blame them. Like it's they're not they're they're not they're no great answers. Like I, I proposed last night, like maybe you try to play eight and just not play any other wing. You just play Bogdan and Herder and you go with Lou or you go with like five minutes of uh of Gallinari just to like not even not even play another wing. I have I mean, I'm out of options. I'm we're throwing stuff at the wall at this point. Yeah, but I, I think that's maybe throwing stuff at the wall at this point is the a thing to try. You know, you mentioned the David strategies. Like, I think that's a a good term for it, and b probably the the way to go. Um, but yeah, like I said, it, it just no matter who you're playing at this point, you're you're in the same position. I thought maybe the end of game two, like the one silver lining for the Hawks might have been you get reddish five. Yep. How I don't know how many I minutes think, you I played. I think he ended up playing like. 15 almost because he got I mean, he played that whole fourth quarter I know, I know you weren't dialed in that whole that entire second half was, extended garbage was basically time. garbage time yeah. and I, but he played I think the whole fourth quarter if not most of it it was uh, okay a long way so so may I, I looked at that and thought you know that was one of the times I looked up at the TV I said oh reddish is in and uh I thought maybe that was an opportunity to he, get his feet wet and, and get agree. his legs under him a little bit and and maybe you can run him out there for game three if he's feeling up to it um, but that clearly not the way they went. Maybe game four. I mean, it, it, it's one of those. That's one of those adjustments that can happen mid-series. So I, I think that possibility is still on the table, and it would it wouldn't surprise me at all to see the Hawks go that way. But I just keep coming back to what I've said twice before, and we'll say again is that Solomon Hill and Cam Reddish are both going to leave you wanting if those are your primary defensive wings. <laughs> yeah, and then you have like Tony Snell who. I don't know what's happening there, but they just lost faith in him entirely. He was playing ahead of Solomon Hill for most of the season, and he just is gone now. Like he's he's there, but they just won't play him, and that's a question. Not that he's not a great defender either, but he's a better shooter than those guys are. I don't know. Um, what do you think of before you move on entirely from this? Do you think they could possibly get through games just removing that spot, basically going with eight and just playing the starters plus Lou Gallinari and Okongwu is like, is that tenable in your brain? Like I've, I've done the math on it and basically it requires you to play Lou and Trey together a lot. And it probably requires you to play Gallinari some at the three, um, which those are two things that they probably don't want to do a ton of, but they already have, they already have been playing Lou and Trey together. And, you know, is it worth it to try the Gallo three lineup a little bit more just to see if it works? Because you kind of have to. I mean, there's a there's a cap. Even if you assume 40 minutes from Herder and Bogdanovich, that's a lot of minutes. Number one for for Bogey in particular, since he's hurt. But is that even an option, or do you just have to play somebody as the third wing for eight minutes a night? I mean, it's mathematically possible. Like you mentioned, <laughs> the the combination of of Lou and Trey. You might even have to play a Kongu and Capella together at some point. Which too, they, that's the that only work. thing they have not done all year. That's like the only lineup combination that Nate has never tried. And I, I understand why, by the way. I wouldn't do it, but maybe against Giannis and, and Brooke, you could, might. I was going to say it might be worth a shot in this series, only because of how well a Kongu in limited opportunity. Uh, admittedly, has guarded Giannis. I mean, maybe you can get away with making... Because my theory coming into the series of how the Hawks would guard the Bucks was you put Collins on Giannis, and then when he inevitably gets beat, you have Capella at the rim, and he's kind of your your weak side defender, whereas if Capella gets beat, Collins is now your weak side defender, and you're in a worse spot. So it's sort of a concession that Giannis is going to get to the rim. Collins theoretically had some strength and some quickness, they went the other way, which I think is a totally viable strategy as well. But maybe playing a Kongwu and Capella together 
allows you to use Capella as your help defender, helping off of Lopez, and Okongwu is your primary Giannis defender, and then you can maybe smother him at the basket a little bit more effectively. But that combination probably tanks your offense. I was I was, I was waiting for that. I was if you didn't say that, yeah. I was I was going to say like all right. Well, the real problem is going to be offensively, uh, just because there isn't enough shooting in the world. You, you would need. Uh, you'd have to play Gallo at the three, which is you, obviously. Yeah, I mean that's the only way. You, I mean, may, maybe you could play those two guys with, you know, Trey, three of the Trey Lou Herder Bogdanovich trio. Maybe that's enough. But even then, like, Akongwu and Capella are both like full on non shooters right now. Like, I think a yeah. Kong, I think a Kongwu in a year might be able to shoot a corner three. Like, there's some signs there. But right now, he's not going to do that, and won't be great, and won't be guarded to do that. So. Uh, it's very tough. Like, not even the Sixers, who everyone pilloried for their lack of spacing in the Hawks series, not even they are ever playing two non-shooters other than the very small handful of minutes with Ben Simmons and Dwight Howard. And that, that didn't work at all. And that was against the Hawks, not the Bucks. So, Speaking of the Sixers and their non-shooters, did you see Dwight Howard at the game last night? Uh, I did. I noticed him actually before before it made the rounds on on Twitter that he was there. I looked down and I was like, that's got to be Dwight Howard because of the hair and yeah, the, the hair, size. Yeah. Um, even pregame, I was like, that's got to be Dwight. I'm fairly sure it is. But I was too far away to notice. And then I, then I saw it make it the rounds on, on Twitter. Um, yeah, Dwight, um, I mean, he, he, he's an Atlanta guy. So I wasn't like that surprised by it. But it's always odd to see an opposing player that just lost to you, just lost to you suddenly like courtside yeah. at one of your next games. Uh, literally your next game at home, Dwight's there. It's like, that's a little bit strange. But hey, uh, kudos to Dwight for helping them win the series in the last series. Because he was dreadful, so uh, that's true. I mean, it was he was uh, he was not not to do the whole thing again, but uh, Dwight was uh, one of the more valuable Hawks in the last. Yes, series. yes, he was. So. And I'll say while I'm here, the last time I was on the Locked On Hawks, I I I think you and I agreed that the Hawks were totally done for, and that uh, Embiid was just going to completely cook the front court, and that the Sixers were just too good, and there was no way the Hawks could overcome it. And uh, it appears I was wrong about that. It appears I didn't I didn't nail that one. So you and the, you and the betting market were aligned, uh, and people uh, either won or lost their shirts on that series. But um, yeah, I mean, it, very interesting that they made the run to this point. Quite obviously, but um, they did it. Um, oh man, I was going to ask you about. We kind of talked about Giannis. Oh, so defensive rebounding has been a huge concern. Yep. In this series and. That is particularly brutal when you realize how much the Hawks are playing big. Like, this is, I mean, you, you cover the whole league, you'll know this. Like, the Hawks are basically playing more traditional lineups, like power forward plus center lineups, than any team in the league in the playoffs. And to still be losing the glass like that is kind of untenable. It's probably a little bit of noise. Like, the Hawks are actually usually pretty good on, on the defensive glass, but in this series, on top of the bad shot quality that they've, they've allowed, it's just kind of been like backbreaking, like thirty-five percent defensive rebound. I'm sorry, offensive rebound rate allowed. It's like really, really, really rough. Is there anything that you've seen to like tell you why that's happening, or is it just a little bit of noise? And obviously, the Bucks are big and physical. Yeah, that's. I think it's more the latter. I mean, that's kind of what they do. That's been one of. Well, actually, offensive rebounds haven't been a huge part of what they've done in the regular season, but I think in the postseason, that's been a little bit more of a point of emphasis. It's kind of weird. You you totally read my mind by the way. I was going to bring up the the offensive rebounding and and there we go. the interior advantages for the Bucks. They're kind of doing to the Hawks what they should have done to the Nets. But <laughs> yeah, which, that's true. Which is weird because the Hawks like are you big. Said, the <laughs> Hawks are playing big, and the, and the Nets are tiny. And the Bucks were like, 
Offensive rebounds, now we're good. Getting to the rim, uh, we'll just settle for 10-footers. It's okay. And against the Hawks, they're like, oh, actually, maybe we should try, like, shooting layups and getting second chance. Like, that might really help us. And and they're doing it, like, really effectively. Game three was, I mean, it's a little bit of an extreme, but it's also a good encapsulation of the problem. 37% offensive rebounds for Milwaukee, 46% of their shots at the rim, and they only shot 61% at the rim, but when you get 36 attempts, you know, and you draw seven shooting fouls, it's just, that's, that's too much of an onslaught to, to withstand. So I think honestly, I mean, it kind of starts with Capella, whose point of attack defense on Giannis, it's a very hard thing to do, but it hasn't been amazing. Especially for a center. I mean, Capella, to your point there, I I don't want to, I agree with you on what you just said, but think about what, what you just said. Click Capella has basically not had to do this at all this season. Like, yeah. They're asking him to do something that he's not done all year, except for basically against Giannis. Like, he's not had to guard someone in the way that he has in this series really ever in a Hawks uniform. And he's not done great with it, but, I mean, no one really does. I, I mean, I, I've been trying to kind of grade on a curve because just simplify it. Like, your center, particularly an old-school, you know, near the basket center like Capella. He's a great athlete, but it's still he's still a primary center. Him guarding Giannis, you know, one-on-one in space is uh it's a it's a tough ask. <laughs> That's for sure. And he's I mean really each of the last two rounds have been really difficult matchups for him because he's yeah. not I we we said this when we talked about the Sixers series, he's not like the one-on-one center defender. He's he, a, a much better matchup for him would be a team like Brooklyn. You know, or, or a team, I guess Miami is probably not a great example. But, you know, one of these, the, the Knicks, the Knicks were a good example because he can help. He can get to the rim. He can block shots. He can be a force around the rim off of rotations rather than having to match up with and, and bang with Joel Embiid in the post or having to, to guard Giannis off the dribble. And he, he eventually sort of figured out a way to be effective against Embiid. I think part of that had to do with Embiid's health. Giannis is fully healthy and he's having one of the best statistical playoff runs we've ever seen. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that's just giving Capella huge problems and he's fairly mobile and he's really smart for his position. And he, I, I mean, he's not getting completely trucked, but it's just like against a guy like Giannis, you have to be one of the two or three best guys in the league at guarding Giannis, or it just doesn't matter because he's going to get where he wants. So that's, that's been a huge issue obviously for the Hawks and the other thing is their point of attack defense against guys like Drew Holiday and you know uh has has not been great because like Drew Holiday can just go through Trey Young yeah so he can get to the rim almost anytime he wants so that's that's another reason where like you know Brooke Lopez is not necessarily a huge force Giannis obviously is but Middleton's not really getting to the basket Connaughton Portis like the guys off their bench don't really want to get there but Giannis and Drew can just get to the basket when they want to because they have such overwhelming physical advantages over their defenders that there's just again it's one of those things that I guess you could scheme for it but you're going to you're going to create holes and openings in other places so and it kind of just comes down have. to personnel at a certain point and they yeah they they kind of have i mean if you look at, this is something we talked about pre-series on the podcast but no matter what with the Hawks current alignment particularly if you factor in that Bogdanovich has been a little bit hampered, they don't have matchups that really work on both Drew and Middleton at, at a certain time. And that's with the starters, much less if you go to, if you try to go, if you try, if you try to play Trey and Lou against Drew Holiday, like you have, he's going to just do whatever he wants to do. And it's just interesting to me 
Because the Hawks have done a good job, I think, at times making the Bucks shoot threes. And the Bucks have obliged. Like they're they're shooting 32% from three in the series. But the Hawks sorry, 31% from no, sorry. The Bucks are 32%. The Hawks 31% though. So like the fact that the Hawks have gotten a little bit of shooting luck by Milwaukee, they've given it back in their own right. But when Milwaukee settles, to go back to our previous topic earlier on the podcast, like Milwaukee's done a better job in this series, I totally agree with you, on attacking and staying diligent with that. But there are still stretches when they take a lot of jump shots. And that's playing into the Hawks' hands because when they do have it in their brain, particularly Giannis and Drew, to go to the rim, they're getting to the rim almost whenever they want to. So it's not realistic to say, look, Giannis should just drive every time. That's not like physically possible to do. But you can definitely see the theory of the case for the Hawks. Like They're just hoping Milwaukee settles and misses, which happened in Game 1, and it happened at times in Game 3, just not enough because Chris finally found it in the second half because, honestly – it was the same thing. I mean, the first half, first three quarters, two and a half quarters, Milwaukee was again shooting poorly from three. And, you know, that's kind of the theory. The Hawks kind of need that to happen to win this series. But I guess maybe the theory of the case also is that if Trey's limited, the Hawks just have to have one of those nights from three and they haven't had one yet. Yeah. And, and the Bucks are liable to shoot themselves in the foot in the playoffs. You know, we know this. Like against, they do that. Against Brooklyn. Like I thought Holiday in particular – even to a degree in this series, we talked about how he can get to the rim whenever he wants. There are times against the Nets and against the Hawks where he's just choosing not to. And he's oh, last like, yeah, night! Yeah, last night he was not good. He was not good in Game Three. He really yeah, wasn't. he he just has some his shot selection sometimes is just baffling to me. And and it's it's kind of comes back to this thing with the Bucks where they've been the I mean now especially with Trey injured, they're kind of the healthiest team. They've been the healthiest team if you know, or at least one of the healthiest teams all playoffs long. And so they've always kind of had these these advantages that other teams haven't because they haven't had you know to go through that attrition. But it feels like the Bucks are kind of competing against themselves. It's like it, it more than they have to overcome their opponents in a series. It's almost like they have to overcome their own worst attributes, <laughs> and that's they're they're kind of playing that game while everyone else is is overcoming injuries or just the opponent in front of them. Um, it's sort of the man versus self uh, plot line kind of unfolding for Milwaukee. But I mean, when they've decided to get good shots and, and work for good shots and be smart about the shots they take, the Nets couldn't stop them. The Hawks couldn't stop them. The Heat certainly couldn't stop them. And it, they're kind of, I mean, at this point, I, I, I hesitate to say this because we know how quickly things can turn in a playoff series and all that, but at this point, given the health of everyone else in the playoffs, I guess other than the Suns, the Bucks are kind of their own worst. Or they're kind of the only team that can beat the Bucks. Is the Bucks, you know, if that makes any sense. So uh, that isn't the case. Like I hope that we get a competitive series between Milwaukee and Atlanta. I hope that Trey is healthy. I, I wish more stars were healthy in these playoffs. But given that they haven't been, it kind of feels like Milwaukee has almost just been fighting against themselves more than they've been fighting against their opponents. Yeah, it's uh, especially that Brooklyn series. Uh, there, there have been times in, in this series too, but there were moments, I know, just objective NBA observers, writers, that were just kind of like screaming at the TV about the Bucks for the entire series against Brooklyn, basically, including myself. I was one of them. Yeah, I was going to say, I yeah. mean, including me, like just maddening stuff. Um, you know, they've done it a little bit in this series too, and I'm with you. I, I hope... You know, even even beyond the fact that it's a Hawks podcast, I, I hope that Trey is himself or close to it, so they can make this interesting because it's it's obviously an uphill battle to climb. Um, 
aside before you before I let you get out of here, aside from Trey, you know, hopefully being good and being healthy, is there something you can like? What hap- what happens if the Hawks win Game Four and like make a run in the series and maybe win it? Like, what do you think that looks like if it were to happen? Is it is it John Collins? Um, being a mismatch hunter like he has been at times in this series. You know, he didn't play enough in game three. I was pretty bothered by the auto bench that Nate did in the second half, for, for one example. But, like, if I tell you the Hawks win this series from this point, they're down 2-1, how, how do they do it? Like, do you see, like, what's the path that, like, is most likely if that were to happen? Yeah, I think it's, well, it's a lot of things. I think one of them is clean up the glass a little bit offensively and defensively be a more solid getting Lopez and Giannis and whoever else off the offensive glass and then maybe attack the offensive glass yourself you know try to Capella and Collins try to generate some more second chance points you know just be a nuisance in that way and that's I get that that's tiring and exhausting when you're having to guard Giannis on the other end so maybe that's not a a super tenable strategy but maybe that's a place you could try to pick your spots a little bit more I think it also probably involves Bogdanovich just feeling better on that knee, which I have no idea if you will. And then hitting shots. You know, you mentioned the 31% from three as a team. Bogdanovich has been a huge part of that. He just has not shot the ball well. And it's it's not his fault. It's just the the way the ball's bounced and also just the state of his knee right now. He's not able to be a, a super effective offensive player. So I think you need him to kind of find his rhythm, be able to take on a little bit more playmaking load. And then, like you said earlier, you just got to have one of those nights. You, you got to be able to shoot 40 to 50 percent from three and have that that hot stretch of a game, preferably in the fourth quarter, to just kind of be able to keep the Bucks at an arm's length. And then additionally, you got to execute your game plan against Giannis. You, you got to be able to keep him out of the paint at least a little bit. You're never going to completely take away the basket for him, but you, you've got to you've got to show him bodies. You've got to stay in front of him. Just do the best you can to be able to keep him out of the paint because last night he just was parading to the rim and game two as well, just kind of getting whatever he wanted. Um, and then hope that Chris Middleton doesn't turn into Michael Jordan in the fourth quarter. <laughs> that that would be another one. But yeah, I mean, I mean again, his, he, his game one was more uh, what, what the Hawks need. He was pretty bad. Game yeah. One, so. Well, that's the thing, though, is he, he was so bad in game one from the field that you figured at some point it was going to turn just maybe not that quickly and not that not that dramatically. But, I mean, he is that guy. Like, Chris Middleton is the type of player. He's not Kevin Durant. He's not, um, you know, he's not, like, the elite of the elite in that sense. He's not Kawhi Leonard. But he's kind of that next tier of just mid-range shot creator, get to his spot, and you know, hit shots every six, eight. He's a great shooter, solid handle, best passer on the Bucks. Like, he's just a really solid individual offensive player. So... It's not wholly surprising to me that he went off the way he did in Game 3. It just was in rapid succession. It came so quickly that it, just, it was like this onslaught. But you look at like his, his final line, the overall numbers for him in the game, you know, 15 of 26 for 38 points, 7 assists. Like that's, I mean, that's a better game than you'd expect him to have, but that's a game Chris Middleton is capable of having. Yeah. You know, he could, he could do that again, theoretically. It just probably wouldn't be in the same spectacular clutch fashion that it was in game three. Yeah. I think getting into the line as well, more often, you know, that's hard to do if Trey is compromised because he's really the number one by a lot free throw creator on the Hawks, but they have not gotten in the line very often in this series. Um, you know, Gallo can do that a little bit too. He's sort of an underrated foul drawer, but 
they're going to have to lean on Gallinari's offense. Um, I would say, you know, that there's pros and cons to that because that means you have to play him defensively. But they're, they're going to need some individual offensive heroics, I think, um, for, both from Trey and elsewhere to do it. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I said this before I brought you in, but I, I think the – the series betting prices are like Milwaukee ninety three percent, something like that. That seems a little bit high to me at two to one. Like that, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I think the Hawks are underdogs in the series. They have to be. They don't have. They don't have home court anymore. But I think people have gone a little bit too far. Like I think the general national tenor right now is like, all right, the Bucks are going to the finals, and I, I sort of get that. But I think the Hawks are much more alive in the series than people think they are. With the huge caveat that if Trey is hobbled, that that you know. Maybe that maybe that is the right line. So we'll see. But I, I think people are once again a little bit too low on the Hawks now. Again, they're un, they're the underdog. Don't get me wrong, but not by 90, 90 to ten. I don't think. I was gonna say if Trey Young is healthy, I would pick the Bucks in seven. I mean, I think I think this is a. The Hawks have just proven too much in the last two rounds to say that they're if healthy they're just gonna roll over. You know, and the Bucks are a better team than they've seen so far, but. Like the Hawks are also good. They're not the Bucks, but they're good, and they're competitive, and they have talent, and they're they're well coached, and they are solid. Like they're they're a a they're they're not the I don't even want to name a team that you know the kind of a fake conference finalist, but like they they've earned their way here. And and while I wouldn't favor them to get out of the series or to win the championship or anything, like if they're healthy, they're not a, a just an easy opponent. So yeah, I I'm a little surprised to hear that the, the the odds are that high i have to think that's probably just due to trey's health but. i think i think it might be I, I i know you're not always a, a betting market guy but i I went, I went through like four or five different places today and they were all you know it's all implied probability so they also know what's going to get money and all that so there's there's stuff beyond the numbers but uh mm-hmm. yeah i was a little bit surprised how lopsided it was not that i was expecting the hawks to be close to a coin flip but uh it was uh it's pretty high, uh, and given that it's only two to one, it was it's lined like it's three to one. Basically, is what I, is the way that I would put it. Like, yeah, if, if the Hawks lose Game Four, then yeah, they're probably a ten percent or less chance to win the series at three down three one with two games in Milwaukee. That's probably fair. But Game Four is at home. I mean, the Hawks were the underdog in that game on paper, at least in uh, in, in in Las Vegas, but online all those places. But they're not a huge underdog in Game Four unless Trey's just ruled out, which I don't think is going to happen. So we'll see. They're alive. Yeah, and another challenge too is is that they're down two one with Trey being injured instead of up two one. So even if you let's say they lose game four because Trey's fifty percent or whatever, but he gets healthier over the next three games, you still have to overcome a three one deficit. Whereas if they were up two one, if somehow they got game three or you know, game two had gone differently and they'd take a two oh lead in the series, like if they have the two one advantage and then you lose game four because Trey Young is 50%. Well, now you only have to win two out of the three, and if he gets healthy again, then you're in a much better position. But in all likelihood, they're just they're going to be staring down the barrel of of a pretty lopsided deficit if he isn't right. And then, you know, he could heal by game five, and they're still having to overcome that deficit. Yep, so uh, we're all guessing on Trey. Uh, during our conversation, Trey posted kind of a cryptic Instagram um, thing that's making the rounds on on the Twitter. No machine. way, he posted a cryptic social media post. Yeah, but about his. Uh, I mean, I, I would guess it's about his injury. I'm going to read it to you. I'm looking this up now. This is definitely uh, not neither uh, the strength of you nor I. But he uh, posted so frustrating on his Instagram story. So uh, we'll see what that looks. We'll see what that actually is. But um, hopefully, hopefully Trey's able to play and play at relatively full strength. And if that happens, the Hawks I think are very capable of winning Game Four. 
in their home building. Um, ben, thank you for joining me as always on the podcast. If you have any final thoughts, please feel, please feel free to share them. But if not, please plug all of your stuff. I know your co-host John uh, got some heat from Hawks fans in the last series, so there's that. Yeah, he he got a little bit of heat from the Hawks fans, <laughs> and the the best part, honestly, I don't know if he's gonna listen to this, so I can probably say it. Hi, John. He, yeah, he. <laughs> after the the hawks won the series first of all he was he was very like legitimately despondent at, at, at the end of <laughs> that series like he he is a a dyed in the wool sixers fan and i admire his his ability to kind of tone it down and and um try to be objective for for the sake of you know our analysis on the show and everything but he he was he was in a low place after that series but <laughs> we talked about it and i gave him the chance i said do you want to is there anything you want to say to the, the Hawks fans who are listening, you know, maybe, maybe go back or eat your words, eat some crow, like, you know, issue an apology, whatever you want to do. And he kind of said, no, I, th- I think I was, uh, I don't think I was really off base. <laughs> kind of doubled down on the take. Um, and I'm, was... I'm sure Hawks fans really enjoyed that. I, uh, yeah, 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 that's no, that was, I, I did think of, uh, I did think of that when it was, when it was happening, I, I would, re- I would recommend your podcast if only to yell at John. That, that's that's yeah. listen. Whatever, whatever, however the downloads come, Ben. I've learned to embrace that. So if if it's hate listening, <laughs> if people hate me, there are a couple Hawks fan and listeners that I have that will follow me on Twitter, subscribe to the podcast, and just yell at me like every day. And like, look, I, I guess the download still counts. So there you go. Uh, that's that's the age we live in. The the attention is the attention. Um, but yeah, the podcast is called Read and React. So if you're looking for substantive nba discussion you can find it there uh we've you know been in full swing during the playoffs and trying to to record as frequently as we can just kind of recapping games and there's been news around the league too uh amazingly despite the fact that games are still going on so we've been hitting that as well so if you're looking for kind of just a more league focused but still highly uh concentrated and and detailed discussion you can hopefully find that there other than that uh read my work at the step back that's Twitter is generally a good place to find that. I that's about the only thing I use Twitter for at this point is to to share that. So that's the best place to find it. And any of my other work that people are interested in checking out, they can find it there. And uh, other than that, thanks for having me. I love coming on this. Yeah, it's my pleasure, sir. Uh, I will probably bug you again in the near future, as I often do. But uh, I appreciate you coming on. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast. I will be back with a new show after game four, rain or shine, win or loss. However that goes down, I'll be here with the show after that. So subscribe, you'll get the podcast in your feed as soon as it's up. Until then, we'll see you next time.